Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Karen Turk, filling in for Dr. Gina. Biden's congressional address continues to be headline news as the mainstream media has exploded over Tim Scott's rebuttal. Joe Behar, tech monster Twitter, allowed Scott to be referred to as Uncle Tim for 12 hours and did a whole lot of nothing. We'll ask Angela Stanton King and Michelle Mortensen for their thoughts on the blast. Freeing Britney could take an act of Congress, but before that'll happen, the pop star will need to settle for a hearing on June 23rd. She's breaking her silence about her conservatorship. This is spurring speculation about what's next for the toxic star and whether or not this type of arrangement is a toxic practice in America. Rick Black from Sear has been on the front lines of this fight and is going to give us some insight. Matt Gates was a politician who spoke up for Free Britney right before his own scandal dominated. Today, news broke that Joel Greenberg sought help from Roger Stone in obtaining a pardon related to the Gates scandal. In a story you'll see here first, the man himself, Roger Stone, joins us to give us the real story behind these salacious headlines. Mask rules are relaxing with the CDC recall, but not so much in liberal states like New York, where Governor Cuomo has adopted the new guidelines. He said that a full reopening might happen by July, but are New Yorkers really ready to put their masks away? John Tobacco and Pastor Greg Locke are unmasked and ready to talk about this. All that and more tonight on Dr. Gina Primetime. Good evening, I'm Karen Turk, filling in for Dr. Gina, and this is Primetime. It's been two days since Joe Biden addressed the nation at the joint session of Congress, marking his 100th day in office. Here are some highlights from that speech. When I think climate change, I think jobs. Now we're on Mars discovering vaccines. All transgender Americans watching at home, especially young people, are so brave. Won't ignore what our intelligence agencies have determined to be the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. White supremacy is terrorist. We've all seen the knee of injustice on the neck of black Americans. Let's raise the minimum wage to $15. America is an idea. With regard to Russia, I know it concerns some of you, but I made very clear to Putin that we're not going to seek escalation. When I was president, my president, when I was vice president, The president asked me to focus on providing help needed to address the root causes of migration. If you believe in a pathway to citizenship, pass it. It's over 11 million undocumented folks, the vast majority of here, overstaying visas. We can actually, if you actually want to solve a problem, I've sent a bill to take a close look at it. We also have to get at the root problem of why people are fleeing. We need a ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. There's no possible justification for having 100 rounds and a weapon. What do you think, deer wearing Kevlar vests? And no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. 
We're not changing the Constitution. We're at a great inflection point in history. We have to do more than just build back better. We build back, we have to build back better. Most of us felt like Ted Cruz as we struggled to stay awake during that speech. The breaking news of vaccines on Mars and deer wearing Kevlar vests really left most of us scratching our heads. As no surprise, the mainstream media is choosing to focus on the comments of Republican Tim Scott and his rebuttal of the address rather than focus on the address itself. With tech giant Twitter allowing the racial slur Uncle Tim to trend for 12 hours on the platform, here's what Tim Scott actually said. Nowhere do we need common ground more desperately than in our discussions of race. I have experienced the pain of discrimination. I know what it feels like to be pulled over for no reason, to be followed around a store while I'm shopping. I remember every morning at the kitchen table, my grandfather would open the newspaper and read it, I thought. But later I realized he had never learned to read it. He just wanted to set the right example. I've also experienced a different kind of intolerance. I get called Uncle Tom and the N-word by progressives, by liberals. Just last week, a national newspaper suggested my family's poverty was actually privilege because a relative owned land generations before my time. Believe me, I know firsthand our healing is not finished. For every reason, one would think that the left would be embracing this speech, being that it points out a racial divide from Tim's own firsthand experience. But as no surprise, this is exactly the opposite of what they're doing, as the progressive left has had nothing but criticism for the senator. Check out what Joe Behar had to say. Tim Scott, he, he, he does not seem to understand, and a lot of them don't seem to understand, the difference between um, a racist country and a systemic and systemic racism. They don't seem to get the difference. Yes, maybe it's not a racist country. Maybe Americans, the majority, are not racist. But we live in a country with systemic racism. Two people that have been watching this unfold and have quite a bit to say on the topic are Michelle Mortensen and Angela Stanton King. Thanks for joining us, ladies. Thanks Angela. For Hey, I want to, Angela, I want to throw the first question to you. Were, were you surprised at the reaction to Tim Scott's rebuttal? Um, I've been very surprised at the reaction, especially when Kamala Harris came right behind him and said, you know, I agree, you know, America is not a racist country. No one seems to be attacking her. And I mean, the way that you defeat their lies is this. If America is such a horrible racist country, then why do we have thousands of illegal immigrants tearing down our borders in order to get here and catch the American dream? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know, Michelle, we watched the clip of Joe Boy Harris' comments on the way in. How, how can these Hollywood elites talk out of both sides of their mouths? It really is baffling. I mean, there is no better definition of white privilege and white splaining than a 70 plus year old woman who is a TV host and lives in the Hamptons trying to tell a black man, a US Senator who is African American, that he doesn't quite understand what systemic racism is. It is absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that there has not been more outrage to this is actually proving everything Senator Tim Scott said. Uh, we aren't a racist country, but 
but we do have quite a few racists in this country. And right now, I believe Joy Behar is outing herself as one of them. Because if you are going to allow that type of behavior, if you think that's okay, you're saying that you're racist. You're racist against him because he's Republican. You think it's okay to call him an Uncle Tim. That is absolutely preposterous. It is disgusting. And she, quite honestly, should be ashamed of herself. Yeah, Angela, you know, as someone who's worked really hard to reach the community of black voters, do you think that they're impressed with leaders like Tim Scott? And do you think they even really care what Joy has to say? You know, it's unfortunate that left wing has the, that the left wing uh, media has so much control over influencing the way that people think. I think that Tim Scott would be greatly appreciated by the black community if you didn't have people like Joy Behar and other people tearing him down for his own personal experience. I happen to agree with Melissa. How disrespectful is it for someone that has not even experienced that systemic racism that they're talking about to tell someone that has that they don't know what it is that they're talking about. I think that it's absolutely biased the way that they are treating him and not treating people on their side. And nothing to me screams racism more than a party that wants to advocate and fund abortion, knowing how it impacts the black community than the Democrats, if you ask me. You know, and speaking of bias, you know, Twitter allowed the racial slur Uncle Tim to trend for almost 12 hours after Tim Scott's speech. Michelle, what's your thoughts on that one? Well, you know, Twitter allowed that to happen. They actually curated it so it would continue to happen. And the fact that their standards say that they will not let anyone be uh, badgered based on their race or their color or their ethnicity, that really just proves it's simply just for Democrats that that rule applies to because Twitter's rules do not apply to conservatives whatsoever. Also, they're saying, uh, you know, back to Joy Behar, she said, no, this isn't systemic racism. They don't know what systemic racism is. Let me tell you something. If systemic racism exists, it's because of the leaders in our country who have created the laws. Do you want to know who's created laws here for the last 48 years? His name is Joe Biden. He's now president. You can also look at his 1994 crime bill that he's so proud of, and that really can be looked at as one of the keys to creating systemic racism because it helped incarcerate so many African Americans. So that is what is so ridiculous about this. Twitter says it's a place for free speech, but it's only a place for free speech for Democrats. And the Democrats cry systemic racism, systemic racism when they're the ones who have been in power for the longest period of time. And Joe Biden himself, who said today or yesterday in an NBC interview, no, 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 I don't think America's racist, but it's systemically racist. Well, he can look in the mirror because he's the real person who created the problem. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, Angela, you know all about that crime, Brill. And I know I've heard you and I've had you on the show before talking about that. And, you know, it's it's unbelievable that we're now at this time where that's sort of been forgotten. So I, I'm really glad that you're here to address that. And, you know, can we expect that every time a Republican speaks that the left is going to take a hypocritical approach to reacting to things they say, even when the Republican says things that they should agree with? Absolutely. We can absolutely expect the left-wing media and the Democrats to attack everything that we say and to try to use it and play on the emotions of 
people of color. Like you said about that 94 crime bill, I've been paying very close attention since Joe Biden has taken over and got an office and he has not done anything specifically for the black community, yet they want to take pride in saying that the black community is what got Joe Biden in office. Well, we had $50 million going to the Asian community. We had an anti-Asian American hate crime bill. We had a, a, a executive order for the Equality Act for Transgender Day, but nothing at all for African Americans. And I'm hoping and praying that one day they wake up and realize that they're continuously playing us for a fool and playing on our emotions and are going to do absolutely nothing at all to uplift or elevate people of color. Thank you so much, ladies, for weighing in. A really interesting topic. Coming up, the masks are off and New York City may be back in business, but are New Yorkers ready? John Tapaco and Pastor Greg Locke are up next on Dr. Gina Primetime. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. The CDC has finally unmasked some of the public this week, and New York City adopted the new guidance. Cuomo is finally going to lift some of the dining restrictions, and there's speculation that New York City could fully open by the end of July. This rebound for the city can't come soon enough for some, but the New York Times is reporting that even though the mask rules are relaxed, that New Yorkers, not so much. One native New Yorker, John Tobacco, has his pulse on the city, and Pastor Greg Locke has been fighting wearing a mask since the beginning of these mandates. And they both join us now to take a harder look at this. Hi, welcome. Hey, Karen. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. John, what, what's this business that New Yorkers aren't ready to unmask? Well, every New Yorker I know, and I would say, Karen, most people that are sane... Um, that, who have been fighting back, who have been speaking up, who have been punching back on behalf of small businesses and getting our life back to normal. Like, finally, let's get this going. And to tell you the truth, us Staten Islanders, Karen, we're stubborn. And we're like the red-headed stepborough of New York because this is MAGA country over here. And we don't want to wait till July 1st. Why do we have to wait till July 1st if the threat is over? Let's end it now. So... You know, there's some limousine liberals on the upper left side who are like, hey, we still need masks. The truth of the matter is, rank and file, hardworking New Yorkers are like, enough already with this. Yeah, enough already. And, you know, Pastor Locke, you were ready to go to jail before closing your church long, long early in on this, you know, at the beginning of this pandemic. What's your take on New York? This is a long time in coming, is it not? Uh, absolutely it is. And uh, like you said, it's just nonsense. We know where the threat level is. And the problem is they've taken away our freedoms because in America we believe in the liberty to choose. And so we know the threat level. And so let people make up their own mind. But open the churches, open the schools, open the businesses, and let's get back to being American. Yeah, you know, every Friday, Gina calls the show Freedom Friday. So, you know, this should be Freedom Friday, and we should have freedom for New York. But, you know, John, New York is a really strange place on a lot of levels. And I know 
Pretty recently, you experienced some really unexpected hurdles in your race for controller. Is this leaving you sour over the state that you love? No, you know what, Karen? No. You know what it's doing? It's reinforcing me. It's letting me know that God's got a plan for me. And I stepped into the race. I have no political experience, but I was fighting for small businesses. And what happened was the grassroots support came behind me. I got the most signatures in New York City history for a Republican. And when the Board of Elections and the mayor, who I've been cracking for the last few months, when they saw the uprising behind me, they took it right to me. They're trying to drop the hammer on me, but that's not happening. And by the way, like I said, um, just like the good pastor, um, we're going to all lengths to fight in my book for faith, family, and freedom. And we're not backing down. My supporters are even more emboldened, Karen. And the machine is not going to win. The problem is there's nobody to stick up for white Republican Trump supporters. So 17,000 votes can get thrown out the window in New York if you're a white Republican Trump supporter. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very proud to be your friend, JT, and I'm happy you're on here discussing this because I think it's an important issue. And, you know, another important issue, Pastor Locke, is do you think that the reduction of these mandates in New York and other places, are they going to do anything to create less bias against people who have been traditionally anti-maskers or anti-vaxxers? I don't think so, because we've been here the entire time. We, we've known the scoop. We know it's politically supercharged. We would have never heard about this situation had it not been an election year, and we all know that. And they can call us conspiracy theorists if they want to, but at the end of the day, you know, 100 million strong you know, Trump supporters, that we're just not going to back down. We knew it was nonsense when the whole thing started. We still believe it's nonsense. We didn't close our church. I still t- tell people all the time, there is no reason anywhere in the nation that any church ought to still be closed because of COVID-19 lockdowns and mask mandates. We'll have CNN in our services this weekend because they just can't get enough. It's like a bad car accident. They can't turn their face away from people that actually stood up for righteousness and stood up for the liberties that we still believe in in America. And so like dear brother said, uh, we have not yet begun to fight. We are still standing up and pushing back. And so I don't think it's gonna change anybody's mind because we know what it is. It's, it's foolishness. It's media infused nonsense. Yeah, you know, you both stood up, you know, throughout this entire thing, both, you know, Pastor Locke and and John, you both stood with your neighbors during this pandemic to keep the businesses open. And John, you were even broadcasting from a local bar amidst criminal charges against them for remaining open. And I think ultimately those charges were dismissed. Do you think that this changed the environment, this dismissal of these charges for business owners in New York? Well, KT, let me tell you something. First of all, me and the past have a lot in common. We figured out ways to beat the system. Uh, it was crazy to me that strip clubs were open, but churches were closed. So some intelligent pastor put a strip club, a strip pole in the church. Me, they're trying to close a bar. So what did I do? I put the First Amendment in the bar. I made my TV studio inside the bar. And let me tell you, Karen, my lawyers, Lou Gelamino, Mark Fonti, James Mermingus, Joe Camarada, undefeated against the mayor and the governor. We fought to end Mm. remote learning. We did it. We fought to end indoor dining. We fought to remove the curfew. We won it every turn and we're proving to people here in New York and hopefully around the country that when you stand up to the emperor and you punch him back in the face, they step back. Right now they're trying to get me again on my race, but we're going to beat him again, Karen. 
Yeah, no, I have no doubt that you'll beat them again. And you know, what I love about, you know, people from Staten Island and from your borough is that you're scrappy. You're going to keep fighting. I know that this isn't going to just be a, a little blow for a minute and you're going to come back stronger. And I think this whole experience, Pastor Locke, if you, you may agree with me, has brought our community closer together. And I'm sure in your church community, you see a lot of people that are now relying on each other through this pandemic. Absolutely, because I tell people it's not about the building, it's about the gathering. That's what we're commanded in Scripture to be involved in, the coming together. And so at the end of the day, we have grown exponentially, literally by hundreds of people in the last 14 or 15 months. We're actually in a tent, and we're not in a giant tent. It's like a big circus tent, right? We're not in a tent because of COVID-19. We're in a tent because we've grown so much because hundreds and hundreds of Christians and, and patriots and freedom-loving Americans are traveling here literally from all over the country every single service just to sit under the tent, just to be a part of a service where there's something exciting and worshipful and it's all about Jesus and no mask and no social distancing. And they're finally glad that somebody's just gonna say it. And so if there's anything I want our ministry to do, it's stiffen the backbone of other pastors in America and say, look, if you will open your church, your people will follow because people are starving to death for bold leadership. That's great. They are starving for bold leadership. And that's why, John, you got to keep fighting up there in New York for bold leadership, because the leadership that you have there in New York has really failed the public. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what unfolds as, you know, things change and we come into these new election seasons. Do you think that this whole pandemic is going to shift the way that New Yorkers vote? Well, yeah, I certainly think this is a tremendous opportunity to get a different type of leadership because people are just so fed up. But, you know, Karen, there's this thing I've been studying. It's called pluralistic ignorance. When everybody, when they're out publicly, just assumes everyone else is going along with this. But privately, they're all scratching their heads saying this can't be right. But he thinks it's right. And people just need to communicate a little more because I think the mass of America is realizing This was a hoax perpetrated upon us, and we got to get back to the simple principles that this country was founded on, faith, family, and freedom. And I I think it's happening. I think it's going our way in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. Pastor Locke, any thoughts about Joe Biden trying to really take credit during his address for all of the strides that uh, Donald Trump made in getting the vaccine out? Yeah, they want to do anything they can to dismiss anything that Trump did. Trump was amazing. He's the best thing that ever happened to this nation. So people can say what they want to. I may be a pastor, but I'm still very much a fan of Donald Trump. And Joe Biden, as far as I'm concerned, uh, is a fraudulent president. (laughs) And I I still believe the election was rigged. I still believe it was stolen. 100%. I'm not going to lay down on that fight. And so people say, oh, my goodness, pastors need to stay out of politics. Look, if we don't call out corrupt politics, we're not even going to have a platform from which to preach the gospel. We never thought we'd see a day that pastors, for Pete's sake, are going to jail for keeping their churches open. And so I applaud people like you, people like John, others that I get the the privilege to hobnob with and get around with because we've got to stand up. And so I'm not a fan of Joe Biden. And uh, I'm also not a fan, let me just say this, in his defense, I'm also not a fan of the way the left uses him because I'm convinced this is elder abuse. Okay, you got a guy up there that's befuzzled anything that he says or thinks, but they're using him like a puppet. And pretty soon they'll be done with him. And I know that to be the facts. There's no way around that. Yeah, that's a great point, and I think the puppetry is pretty evident. Wouldn't you say that, John? Well, I think it all showed on Super Tuesday when James Clyburn, uh, Barack Obama's confidant, came out and said he was going to support Joe Biden. That was the moment when they decided that Barack Obama and Valerie Jarrett were really running this campaign from here on in, 
And I've been saying for quite some time, Joe Biden's just a vessel for a whole pack of Bill Ayers and Barack Obama and Valerie Jarrett's progressive socialism. And you almost feel bad for Biden, except he's not so far gone that he doesn't know what's happening. He knows what's happening. He's just going with the plan. Mm. Yeah. Any any final thoughts for our audience, Pastor Locke, that you can leave us with for faith and freedom? Yeah, you know what? Faith and freedom go hand in hand. We would not have a constitution without men of God like George Whitfield and the Great Awakenings in the colonies and all of that. And so people need to recognize, stop believing this leftist, this leftist nonsense of a narrative that we're not really a Christian nation. Yes, we are. 100%. Don't lose hope. I don't believe God's done. Like John said, I believe that people are waking up both spiritually and politically and in every other way. And so I think God is going to do something great. We may fall one day as a nation, but it will not be to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I guarantee you that. We are not going to fall to socialism. We are going to remain the number one capitalistic liberty field nation on the planet. God bless America. Ah, thanks to you both. God bless America. Amen. Up next, up next, freedom is at stake for a variety of reasons, but one topic that's making headlines is the Free Britney movement. Finally, after remaining silent for almost 13 years of her conservatorship, the pop star will speak out on her own behalf in a June hearing. Rick Black joins us to discuss. You won't want to miss it. Dr. Gina Primetime will be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Back to Dr. Gina Primetime. The Free Britney hashtag has been trending on social media, and the movement regarding the star's conservatorship gained traction after the release of the documentary Framing Britney Spears. Back in 2008, the singer was stripped of her civil rights after a very public breakdown. Most of us remember when she shaved her head in front of the paparazzi and then her stint in rehab. Thirteen years have passed, and Britney has held back on speaking publicly. Until now. The plot twist comes as the star has petitioned to address the court in a hearing on June 23rd, with 1.5 million people in guardianships in the United States and movies like I Care A Lot trending on Netflix, the topic is finally gaining traction. Rick Black with the Center of Estate Administration Reform has been on the front lines and he joins us now. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be here. Yeah, you know, Brittany is scheduled to speak in court. Do you think this is going to have any significant impact on her case? I hope. I don't have much confidence, but every time she's willing to go in front of the judge, we always anticipate what trajectory changes may occur in that case. Uh, but there's two gaps. One, will she openly discuss her situation and ask to have her freedoms back? And secondly, will Judge Brenda Penny listen to her and, and take a different course of action than she has the last few years? But we're hopeful. 
Yeah, you know, Brittany is really far from alone in this struggle. And, you know, I think her being such a public figure and a pop star has finally drawn some attention. But what population of Americans really is most at risk here? Well, it's mostly our seniors, those over 75. They're, we're entering into and have been in an environment where the greatest intergenerational wealth transfer in the history of the world is underway. Roughly $1.5 trillion a year passes generationally in the US. That's gonna climb to $2.5 trillion a year and probably even more than that, given how the stock market is done by 2035, less than a generation away. Every estate planning, guardianship, trust attorney knows those numbers like the back of their hand. Every scammer knows those numbers like the back of their hand. And that makes our senior community quite vulnerable to professional exploiters. Guardianship yeah, and, and is one of the easiest ways to do that. Yeah, it is. And, and on that note, I want to play a quick clip from the Netflix smash hit, I Care A Lot, and get your take. Good morning, Miss Peterson. I'm sorry to disturb you so early. The court has ruled that you require assistance in taking care of yourself. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm afraid it's not up to you to decide. The court has appointed me to be your legal guardian. What? You have to come with me. And remember, I'm here to help. My name is Marla Grayson. I'm just someone who cares. You know, it's a fictional movie, Rick, but the scene, uh, is this real? Is this happening in the United States? Very real. We, we investigate approximately 400 new cases every year. Uh, fortunately, as Sears awareness has grown, we're getting to people earlier and earlier in the process. But we loved the attention that I care a lot brought to the issue. The first 50 minutes or so is exactly what we see routinely in courtrooms across America. People who are fine living in their homes, someone gets pertinent information on them, files with the court to get a guardianship, and often can achieve those guardianships without any testimony, without any estate documents, without even looking at the targeted, alleged incapacitated person, and it's game on. And uh, it was interesting because I was drawn into a discussion with a couple of leaders of the American Bar Association who were trying to convince the public that the movie is pure fiction and it doesn't happen. And yet we were able to get a, at least one of their members to readily admit in the state of Colorado that this happens too often and nobody's really doing anything to stop it. So we're, we're pleased with the exposure that I care a lot has given the issue, but we got a lot of work to get public officials to do anything about it. Yeah, why, why has it been such a hurdle to get federal legislators involved? What do you think the hurdle is there? Well, guardianship, conservatorship has been a state obligated obligation for since you know 245 years in the US uh, the feds haven't wanted to engage in it and the American Bar Association each state bar association the county bar associations as well as the guardianship associations across the country all want to continue to grow their 
profit center guardianship and lead both state and federal authorities that this is one hundred percent legitimate so between the fact that this is viewed as a state matter which causes the feds to not engage the fact that the attorneys have all worked very hard at convincing the public that there's nothing to see here and there's immense amount of money coming into the system both through federal entitlements for those under guardianship and on medicaid and for the estates that are trafficked through guardianship um, it's the perfect storm to keep a well-recognized crime hidden yeah you know and, and speaking of landmark cases and and attorneys there's there's one case that jumps out at me and uh, it's a case of a 16.4 million dollar jury award in 2017 in a south florida court the headline in the palm beach post read jury hits lawyers with 16.4 million for doing a senior wrong in guardianship why haven't awards like this huge jury award made a difference I, again it's back to and i'll add a different twist to it it's back to what i said earlier karen but it's also the judges are attorneys they grant every level of the court grants wide discretion and latitude to equity court judges, probate judges. So the last thing they want to admit, and, and again, it's a profit center to the bar, the last thing they want to do is admit that this system has problems. We thought that the Rogers versus Bivens case, the $16.4 million case that you referenced there in the central district, middle district rather of Florida, would be a bellwether case to blow the roof off of this issue. It was a case that was egregious at the probate level. It was denied that there was criminal wrongdoing at, at all with the feds as well as state and local police. It was also denied within the Florida state court system all the way to the Florida Supreme Court. Fortunately, this family had enough money that they could take it to federal court in the middle district and with the jury that heard it, were able to win that settlement. It's a pretty sad statement that obvious fraud, exploitation, embezzlement, extortion, theft can occur under the jurisdiction of a court and you have to come up with another half a million dollars after the family lost a loved one and between four and five million dollars, but then you gotta come up with another half million to take on a suit in federal court to get any redress. Um, that, that case has sadly been a bellwether for the opposite side to really reinforce for us what we're up against to try to expose these crimes and get something done about it. That's really wild. And, you know, I think these attorneys just went back to business as usual. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that this was any more than a little speed bump in their way. And as I recall in that case, I believe those attorneys also used the funds of the incapacitated senior to sue the children of that senior. Isn't that correct? Well, that's the case in all guardianship cases. This started with a fraudulent guardianship. It ended up being a probate fraud, but that's the magic of guardianship. Every attorney wants one if they can get it, because once the order comes down to create the guardianship, 
every attorney who signs up to be a part of that case will be paid by the estate funds. So in a fraudulent guardianship, you're actually paying the criminal, the perpetrator, to conduct the crime, which most Americans have no idea that that goes on. The real sad part on the case that we're talking about, that case is still used today to justify why family should not be allowed access to their loved ones or to a transparent accounting of the assets that were taken over by the court, the court's parties. In this case, trust assets, which most everybody thinks if I have a trust, my assets are protected. Oh, right. contraire. A trust, yeah. a beneficiary of trust, a trustee, they are routinely targeted by predatory attorneys if they come become vulnerable in any way. I understand, Rick, and what an important issue. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Karen. Coming up next, we have some breaking news in the Matt Gates case with Roger Stone joining us to shed some light on today's breaking headlines, which all seem to point to a pardon request from Joel Greenberg on behalf of himself and the congressman. What's the real story anyway? You're going to want to stay tuned. Roger Stone joins us next. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. It's time for some breaking news on the biggest headline of today. It's a story you're going to see here first. A letter that's been dubbed as a bombshell has been dropped in the lap of the mainstream media. Every headline today is reading that Congressman Matt Gates did pay for sex with an underage girl. This after his former friend, Joel Greenberg, leaked a confession letter and circulated messages with political operative Roger Stone. Here to address this for the first time directly is Roger Stone himself. Roger, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Karen. It's great to have the opportunity to rebut the fake news because there's so much of it out there. Uh, in this case, the Daily Beast, which is, from my point of view, the lowest of the low when it comes to fake news, um, has cherry-picked uh, and I think selectively released it text messages that are incomplete, out of order, uh, out of context, uh, on different days to try to create a false narrative. Let's be very clear and get right to the point. Um, I never lobbied uh, the president or his administration or his lawyers for a pardon for Joel Greenberg. I never accepted a penny from Mr. Greenberg or anyone else who was seeking a presidential pardon. I'm aware of no actual evidence or proof that Congressman Matt Gates has done anything wrong. Like you, I've read the allegations, but where's the beef? I've seen no evidence that this is true. So uh, this is typical of the of the fake news media smear, 
And unfortunately, we're at a point in our popular culture where Roger Stone's name is clickbait. And I think that's the case here. Yeah, these fabricated narratives, this clickbait news with your name all over, it seems to be a regular occurrence. And, you know, it just seems like just last week, you know, we were talking about the other story in your life where the DOJ has again targeted you in, in a way that just is unbelievable. There's some sort of civil suit going on and, and something about your taxes. And this is all a bunch of garbage as well. Well, this is the weaponization of the Biden Justice Department for political purposes. Look, it is not a secret. It's been widely reported for a number of my year uh, of years that my wife and I had a tax debt from 2007 and 2008. And we diligently made payments for well over three years with the payments escalating to pay off that debt. Now, however, they want to sue me for the interest and the penalties. In fact, my tax attorney was in negotiations with the IRS under the Offer and Compromise program to try to settle this matter. But the instant Joe Biden was elected, they cut off those discussions and they filed a lawsuit, which is both flawed from a legal point of view and factually incorrect. So you have to wonder, is this just harassment? I mean, first they tried to destroy me in the Russian collusion hoax and I was subjected to a Soviet-style show trial in Washington, D.C., replete with a biased judge, a crooked jury forewoman, and extraordinary uh, prosecutorial misconduct over fabricated crimes. And then on November 3rd, 2020, just weeks ago, the Justice Department was forced by court order to release the last remaining unredacted sections of the Mueller report in which they admitted, although sugar-coated, they had no evidence whatsoever of Russian collusion or coordination by WikiLeaks or Julian Assange or any knowledge of John Podesta's extraordinarily damaging emails. Of course, CNN and MSNBC and The New York Times, the people who called me a traitor and a Russian spy in headline size type, they never covered that story. Uh, this tax action is harassment. What I'd like to know is why am I being treated differently than Hunter Biden. I mean, Hunter Biden very clearly took in millions of dollars in Ukrainian business deals, in shady Chinese business deals. There is no question that there's an open IRS investigation, but when will they be suing him for the taxes that he owes? It's just another example of our two-tiered justice system. They charged me with lying to Congress. Rod Rosenstein lied to Congress when he said he didn't approve the investigation into Roger Stone, except for he did on October 17th, 2017. You can see his signature, 2018, pardon me. So why hasn't he been charged with lying to Congress? There are two standards, one standard for President Trump's supporters and Republicans, the other standard for the elites and the globalists in our society. Yeah, and it seems like they're using that double standard against Matt Gates in every way, shape, and form. And since the beginning of this story, he really doesn't seem to get a fair shake at all. It seems like no matter what, they just keep going with this narrative and, you know, twisting the evidence, as you say they're doing, in order to get this false narrative out about him. And this was a guy who was a shining star in the Republican Party. Is, is that why they're taking shots at him? Yeah, this, this is payback. Look, Matt Gates is a person of enormous courage who has not been afraid to, to take on Adam Schiff and 
Jerry Nadler and the Chinese spy, uh, Eric Swalwell, and therefore they despise him because he stood up for the America first president. Uh, and he hasn't been shy about it. But now he's in the worst possible position because he's fighting a rumor. He's fighting a charge. He hasn't been charged with anything. I've seen no evidence and no proof whatsoever that Matt Gates has done anything wrong. All I have seen is a guy who has been charged with crimes and desperate to get out of punishment is making up stories about me, about Matt Gates. Who else is he trying to throw over the side? Matt Gates has done nothing wrong that I'm aware of, and I think he's being very unfairly treated. Yeah, it so, certainly seems that way, and it seems like you're unfairly treated every time your name is in a headline, whether it's the tax story or the Mueller investigation or now this. It seems like you are just synonymous with clickbait, and they know if they put Roger Stone's name in there, then all of a sudden they're going to get people to click through to whatever salacious story of the day they want to tell. It's got to be a difficult place for you to be in, but I admire your strength. Any advice for Matt as he's going through this? Well, look, Matt Gates is a brilliant guy, and he's a great political strategist in his own right, but he's also a fighter. He's not going to throw in the towel. I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt to begin with, because I still haven't seen any actual proof that he did anything wrong. All you have is the ravings of a guy who's in prison and wants to get out. So uh, in my own case, I intend to keep fighting. Folks who want to help me can go to stonedefensefund.com. StoneDefenseFund.com. Now I've got to go out and hire a first-rate tax attorney. My tax attorney and my accountant, both excellent, both of whom oversaw all of the uh, uh, taxes and accounting uh, that involve this complaint, tell me that the complaint is fatally flawed on a factual basis, but they're not trial attorneys. So I've got to go out again to defend myself. Now, you know the truth here. I've lost everything. I lost my home. I lost my savings. I lost my car. I lost my ability for, for almost 18 months to make a living. The FBI swooped into my uh, studio in Oakland Park and destroyed my desktop, two laptops, uh, digital cameras, uh, uh, the uh, microphones. Uh, I've had a hard time getting back on my feet, but I won't quit. And I will win this action because it's harassment. I was glad to see that Joe Biden has uh, given the IRS an additional $80 million to go after rich people. And I suggest they start with Hunter Biden. That's where I'd start. Yeah. And, you know, that brings up the whole Giuliani raid, which I know you definitely want to weigh in on, because the fact that they went and raided his apartment and he stood there and said, hey, I have a copy of Hunter Biden's laptop and they completely ignored it and didn't want anything to do with it. That's highly unusual in itself, is it not? It shows that the FBI and the Justice Department have been completely politicized. They're no longer, you know, unbiased arbiters of, of justice. They're being used as a political weapon. Rudy Giuliani is a great man, perhaps the greatest mayor of New York of all time. He took a city that was in deep decline and he turned it around and made it a model city, bringing down crime, bringing down taxes, bringing up opportunity and jobs. Uh, he's been a former U.S. attorney, former associate attorney general. He's a man of enormous integrity. His crime is investigating the crimes of the Bidens. That's his crime. This is a travesty. And as I understand it, he had offered to turn over all of his electronic devices and his records to the DOJ, and they took a pass on that so they could conduct a 6 a.m. in the morning raid, exactly what they did to me when 29 jackbooted FBI agents 
carrying M4 assault rifles surrounded my house. Uh, this is the this is the Biden Justice Department. Even under President Donald Trump, it was the Obama Justice Department. It is an outrage what they're doing to Mayor Giuliani. My family and I, we are praying for him because he's a good man and he's being unfairly harassed. Yeah, and the harassment that you faced and that raid was unreal. And the first thing I thought about when I saw this raid on Giuliani was you and how here it, it's happening again. How can we be in this moment? You think we're going to see any major changes or you think it's all downhill from here? Well, in the meantime, we have former Secretary of State John Kerry actively involved in both sedition and treason. You can't conduct your own foreign policy. It's a violation of the Logan Act. Why has he not been arrested? More importantly, why hasn't every Republican member of Congress co-signed a letter demanding that he be investigated and prosecuted instead of a small handful? So um, I really have to wonder about the Republican Party, whether anybody there has a backbone. Uh, it, it is disgraceful. John Kerry is guilty of very serious crimes, yet it appears that there will be no punishment. That's for sure, Roger. Well, it's been, it's been great having you. We'll see how this unfolds. Thanks for joining Karen, me. Karen, thanks for having me and giving me an opportunity to lay the truth out there for the people. Thanks so much. And thank you tonight to everybody at your new home for Real News, Real America's Voice. Live from Studio 6B is up next. I want to thank Dr. Gina for giving me the honor of filling in for her tonight. And as she always says, hug your children, love your God, go boldly now, and live the truth.